Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello, welcome to Podcast 145. I'm Dan Moylan. You're right. Uh, with me is Michael Normanson. Hello. And with me is Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. Hello. So the last few copies of issue one of our fanzine will be on sale for the Swansea match. You can get subscriptions still for the full season on sale now, either digital or paper on the website. You can grab uh, signed copies of Moscow's book, bestseller, Sunday Times bestseller, 100 Years of Leeds United. Everything you need is at the squareball.net. Well, last time out when Phil Hay was sitting in with us, guys, we uh, we predicted two games, two wins. We were all quite confident and we were absolutely correct. And both wins were glorious in their own way, uh, Brentford and the Stoke victory as well. As well, If you do want to find out about our uh, initial thoughts on those matches, by the way, have a listen back to the match ball podcasts that go kind of with these, where we jump in the studio straight after full time and just have a run through of our raw emotions. And these two were both fun, weren't they? Brentford, eventually. It was it was a nervous sort of uh, evening, really, from what I remember of it. Um, but then it turns out we've got some really good players on the bench this year, which is helping enormously. Pontus Janssen has completely faded from memory after this match. It was all supposed to be him. And uh, I considered before this morning before we came in, maybe having a look to see if he'd said anything about it. Was there anything on the Brentford website? And I just thought, nah. I did see something he put on Instagram, but it was very safe. It just was something like a very emotional night. Sad we couldn't hold out to the end. We go again. A standard footballer sort of ending. Because he got his hugs off Liam Cooper and stuff like that, wasn't it? So he was all quite uh, demonstrating that he does still have friends. Um, he's just no longer a winner. Well, what we have learned since then is that Victor Orta got very excited by it, didn't he? And he, he destroyed his monitor in front of his spot in the uh, executive box. I think they might have left the monitors there as a sacrifice because the way he's grabbed people at times has probably endangered them. And if, if he happens to accidentally break... Angus Kinnear's neck one time. It's probably uh, probably worth sacrificing a bit of computer equipment for him. <laughs> Angus just laying there in a crumpled <laughs> heap on the floor because the water snapped him. <laughs> just strangled him. <laughs> it's a price worth paying. We like brothers. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Cain and Abel. Uh, Eddie Niketia, he's become an instant crowd favourite. And it's that's interesting, that, because we talked about crowd favourites over on the Extra Ball, didn't we, uh, about what it takes to become one and why some players do, why some players don't, when you contrast it with poor Patrick Bamford. Um, who's been great in these two games? Let's not forget. Not this one. The Brentford one, he was fine. Just typically, you'd want to do him down. He was all right in this one. Um, but, uh, but you could maybe tell something about his performance, the way that there was huge cheers for Eddie Niketia as soon as he started warming up and I guess, yeah, so for him to become a, a crowd favourite, we underrated come from a, a, a very big team with a big reputation. And he's got those other elements that people always like, where it's like, oh, he's a youth player, he's fast and he's young and he's hungry and all that stuff, which um, he does actually fulfil when he gets on the pitch. But um, yeah, unusual example of a player coming to Leeds with a big reputation 
and not being overawed by the atmosphere and fulfilling his billing within what, four minutes, nearly twice as well, because he had that chance first that he made for himself just with, with speed and then um, scoring a really good goal. He's um, he's now just one goal behind Billy Painter. <laughs> In our so, all-time scoring records. <laughs> and I think uh, three behind Steve Morrison, who was here for about five years. It felt like that anyway. I feel like these are low bars to be uh, <laughs> asking him to, to leap. But it's nice to have a striker that you can bring on who you have some faith might actually score. Whereas, you know, in the past we've had to bring on Edgar Charney or someone and you just thought, why? What was the what's the purpose of this? We did have an element of that last season. Some of Bamford's best moments were when he, he came on at um, Bolton straight after his injury and just whacked the ball into the net and won the game 1-0. But without Roof. I feel like mainly we had just one of them fit last year, though. They just yeah. took it in turns to be injured. Now that we've established that Eddie Nketiah is brilliant, it's just a countdown until he gets broken. No, don't don't speak like that. Hey, we like to use this as a, a, a sort of hold up a mirror back to the match ball and find out what we've got right or wrong. Uh, we only spoke about two of Pablo's passes during that podcast, and he did more than two good passes. He, we said on the match ball, he was a little bit quiet. It was a little bit off it in terms of the basics, Pablo. But then he just pulled out some Pablo wizardry, which was just magical. I mean, that through ball to Alioski when viewed from behind, which has got a lot of love on the, uh, on Twitter. What a ball. I mean, what a ball that is, just threading it through the eye of a needle. Yeah, and it's not too... Uh, there's been some people wondering if he was aiming for Bamford, but there's that little look left. He's like, oh, Alioski's there. And it could be that there's kind of a... You, you play the percentage, you think, well, if this reaches Bamford, fine, but I'm, I'm aiming for Alioski if it doesn't get to him. And, uh, and people pointed out as well that Bamford was fouled for that pass and then got up again and whacked the ball into the back of the net, which was brilliant yeah um i twice because i had to write about this match a few times I, I gave up trying to think of anything other than um it was just like a crown green ball bold being bold just like that gentle curve across the the lawn to the path of alioski was the only way i could describe it it must have been for alioski because the ball to bamford would have been straight and we don't play straight balls do we there's no there's no angle on it quite literally no angle for to to get around the back when you're just playing and it if he'd been intending to pass it to patrick bamford he would have passed it to patrick bamford this is true there was a little bit of straightness on his um his pass to bamford for the second goal for alioski's goal which i think was not in retrospect that was actually a really brilliant team goal but it was topped by pablo didn't set it up for him he kind of gave the ball to bamford in the box and said right you have to do the rest of this. And that was very much just a straight line, bang, have it at your feet. And Bamford, um, yeah, danced around the defender, made some space for himself and crossed. Somebody was asking on the when we did the match ball about whether it was a shot. Who was saying that? That was me. It was, was you it, mental? I, it was a joke. It's just to fit into our bashing Bamford narrative. Yeah, absolute credit to um, Bamford for that little just shift onto his right foot. And again, a very fine threaded ball into that gap. There wasn't a huge amount of space in front of the keeper and uh, to get around the back of the defender. So well done on it on that front, I think. And well done on our left back being in the six yard box to score. Again, as, as seems to be customary under this uh, this tactical plan. Somebody noticed on Twitter that we didn't even mention Calvin Phillips at all in our match ball review, which kind of probably speaks testament to how, how dominant we are right, all over the pitch in that he had a really solid game, just hoovering everything up, dropping back, finding those passes, and we didn't even really notice it to the point where it was exceptional. He had to be aware in the first half because the one thing Nathan Jones had come up with was switching between a front one and a front two, um, and so forcing us to be between two at the back and three at the back. So Phillips was sometimes playing in midfield and sometimes playing as a third defender. So his job was basically to keep an eye on how many um, attackers Stoke had and adjust his position accordingly and that meant 
he wasn't necessarily getting on the ball as much and he, he couldn't uh, influence us going forward. But he did that job superbly, just keeping everything locked at the back, making sure he's in the right place. Uh, the two defenders with him are in the right place and Stoke aren't getting anything. So, But it's not the sort of thing that you can come out afterwards and say he was absolutely brilliant at, but probably Marcelo Bielsa will have given him a, a big fat six. Yeah, I mean, we said on the match ball as well, it was almost a perfect performance of the machine rather than any one player, wasn't it? Everything just clicked into place. Speaking of Nathan Jones, still not being sacked, do you think we're going to finish him off tonight as we record this in the League Cup game, potentially? I think so. I think they just they don't want to give this to, to the new guy as his first match. They're like, just get this out of the way. They've probably got all the, the paperwork is all drawn up for him, I imagine. Yeah, his quote was, playing uh, Leeds at home is difficult, but Leeds away is even harder. That's his build-up. Match. I didn't mention this on. Um, I alluded to it in the in the match ball, and then forgot to get round to it. But at the end of the game, he went over to the few remaining Stoke fans and tried to applaud them, and they all booed him and told him to fuck off, um, which was great in itself. But it put him at the far end of the pitch from the tunnel, and the tunnel at Stoke is in the corner, um, right next to where all the Leeds fans were. So he had to walk the length of the pitch to that tunnel while the thousands of Leeds fans behind the goal all pointed, laughed at him and, and chanted, you're getting sacked in the morning. And it's wonderful to watch. He did seem to kind of, um, this isn't to mock his faith in particular, but he seemed to be, he was looking straight up into the fans as if he was taking this as kind of a, as a test of his, his character and his, his inner strength. Like, can I um, just walk through this torrent of, uh, abuse and regarded as, as some kind of, um, you know, test my inner inner morals, which is maybe he, I think, takes things that way. Me, it just looked like several thousand pissed up Yorkshire people laughing at him. But if it went, he could maybe take some fortitude from that, that he will then waste uh, Elland Road this evening because it won't do him any good, all the better. But particularly after last year's shenanigans, when he ran onto the pitch, yelled, get the fuck in and then put a massive photograph of himself in the stadium celebrating beating Leeds. Um, for him to have fallen from grace quite so thoroughly gives me immense satisfaction. And you're getting sacked in the morning scans a little bit better than you're getting sacked heading into the international break, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, we asked on the last podcast, 144, what we learned about this Leeds team so far. Do you think we're learning a little bit more with each passing game? I just think we've seen a bit better balance this year. and People know their roles even better. The thing with the start of last year was that we couldn't believe how quickly he'd managed to teach them all this stuff. Whereas this year, it's second nature to them. Dallas knows what he's doing on that side. Alioski does on the other side. Well, as much as anyone knows what Alioski's ever doing. He's under control yeah, to, he's, an, to an extent. Yeah, he's as tamed as he as he can be. I think the new new players seem to have fitted in perfectly. I think Ben White is, again, it doesn't. it's not meant to bash Pontus, but he is a better fit for this team. He completely took the piss in this game as well. Like the watching back his dummies he was selling to them, that's not the sort of stuff Ponsers used to do. He used to occasionally take it past people in a slightly terrifying way as he'd like pirouette out of defence, but the level of control wasn't there. And then he'd tend to go a bit too far as well and try and dribble through midfield and lose it and they'd counterattack. Ben White seems to just get it straight away. That key word I think is control. One of the things Bielsa mentioned after the game is that we're not giving away the ball so we're not getting counter-attacks against us and, and when we do give away the ball we're just getting it back there just seems to be this real cool efficiency running through everything and you're right that last season at this stage it was like it was all like wow look how brilliant we are we're going out and scoring uh, four at Derby and the, these real exciting results um, and the three away at Norwich yeah the win away at Norwich felt like a real like so, like something significant had happened this just feels like 
yeah, we should have won. Of course we should win 3-0. This team just goes out and, and wins 3-0. And that calmness, that sureness, that confidence in what they're doing, all the stuff that basically we thought in May that they'd completely lost, that they'd lost the idea of how to be confident in Bielsa's style. The reprogramming over summer seems to have done um, excellently. And he's done the thing he did at the start of last season as well, where the only new player in the team was uh, Barry Douglas. The only new player in this team is, um, and then they called him Jack White. All the other players are called Jack, Ben White. And it's, again, it's just the same players, just with more education, more information and more confidence. I think that's the big thing. There was a, a moment in the second half when I think it was click, volleyed a pass, like the, the length of the pitch, the, well, the width of the pitch without really looking and without really thinking about it. And it worked. And it was just that they're in the position now where they've got the confidence back to just go, yeah, I think Alioski will probably be over there. So if I bang the ball 50 yards, it will drop on his toe. Brilliant. Our mate Wayne, uh, the beating generation, if you want to look him up on Twitter, it's worth a follow, at TBG2005. He was texting me last night about this. We, we kind of always uh, go back and forth marvelling at Bielsa's system and stuff. And he's got a mate who works in the um, lower leagues, but he's involved in football administration. And part of what he was saying was um, you can get a team to pick up a system quite quickly. What it takes time to build is trust in that system. And maybe now, 12 months down the line, we're seeing the fruits of that labour from last year. I think Nathan Jones kind of touched on it in his post-match stuff as well. He was saying that it's about uh, the, the intensity we have is about a men, is about the mentality as much as it is about fitness, and everyone's bought into that. Clearly, he's failed to get Stoke to be asked about it because they went behind and just went, "Oh well, that's us lost again." Whereas under Bielsa, there is a just keep doing what we're doing, even when even when we were struggling to break through, maybe in the start of the game. Same as the weekend game that looked like it was going to be tough at the start, but. On reflection, we thought the sending off changed it. Actually, the pattern of it was probably quite similar to this, that we would have eventually, just by being better, by following the process, we would have scored. And then at which point you've kind of got them beaten. Stoke have got that kind of air of inevitability about them. Like uh, It reminds me of when we went down from the Premier League, but even more so in the season when we got relegated from the Championship down to League One, where you kind of knew and there just there was no faith in it. There was just no belief in it. There's no trust there. You could just tell they were just playing it out, going through the motions. And that's what it strikes me as. As soon as they fell behind, we knew that game was won, didn't we? Can't wait to play them again tonight. They're so going to win this, aren't they? <laughs> It'll be our reserves, though, so it doesn't really matter. You never know. It could keep Nathan Jones in a job for a little bit long and keep that discord being sowed. But when you look back five years ago, you know, when we lost to Bradford, our midfield was, was it Bianchi, Norris, Murphy and Tong. So we've come a long way. We've come a long way. Yeah, I saw that on Twitter this morning. I thought the, the pace in that midfield is non-existent I mean who, who's, the, who's actually the fastest out of those maybe Murphy I mean he he caught that Bradford player quite quickly when he <laughs> went through his knees <laughs> and finally we're, we're getting to a point now I don't know about you where I'm thinking even with the heartache of last year even with all the pain we've had across the last 15 to nearly 20 years now if we carry on playing like this and if we can manage to pull it off this year and go up it might have all just been worth it just to see this because it's beautiful it is the nicest football we've ever played. And I, that does include when we were genuinely going to win the Champions League. It wasn't actually as nicely structured as this. It was a lot more gung-ho and exciting young players and individuals. But the, the actual systems and the, the patterns of playing stuff were, have never been as good as this. Yeah, the, the moment when Hernandez just released that ball into the path of Dallas, is it's something I can replay in my mind. And it's a feeling that comes back to me as soon as I think about it, just like... The ball's gone over there and everything from that moment, it was just, it couldn't have been more beautiful. And that, that we're able to do that 
is incredible. It's what I touched on in the Matchball podcast. There was that transition from hope to joy over the course of that pass, just rolling into uh, Dallas's path and to see him open his body and tuck it away. It was it was sublime. The whole thing feels sublime at the minute. I tell you what I did think from that goal as well, actually. That goal doesn't get scored against us because Kiko is much further off his line and he, he would be out to intercept that pass before it actually got to the striker. A few or, people, or the fullback. A few people have pointed out, kind of said, shouldn't the keeper have been out there and, and got it? But I guess... Stuart Dallas said afterwards that he'd been talking to Marcus Abad, the goalkeeping coach, who told him which side to finish past Federici. So I wouldn't be surprised as well if Pablo Hernandez also has the information. Uh, Federici stays on his line, so play a ball 20 yards in front of him, he's not going to come and get it. Whereas, yeah, it's true, another another goalkeeper might have come and got it because they, they might have had a different starting position, but we know that they're not going to in this case. So score, score, score. And then Kiko dribbles... <laughs> <laughs> up past halfway. Well, when I mean, the unbeatable Casilla. When did he last concede a goal? Is it Derby at home? <laughs> so, um, no, well, the, for- the Forest game. Yeah, yeah. so that's, 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 that's building eight. up for... Well, the other thing, uh, and we mentioned it in the, in the match ball, is how uh, few occasions the opposition are actually getting into our penalty area. So the, um, the chances of him conceding are tiny. Well, if you've seen the documentary on Amazon now, I'm sure you will have had an emotional reaction to it, have your own feelings about it. We are having a bit of a deep dive into it on this week's Extra Ball podcast with Charlie Phillips, who is the Guardian's head of video, and that includes like his remit, his documentaries and whatnot. And he's a massive Leeds fan as well. So if you're already subscribed to The Extra Ball, then thank you so much for getting involved with this. If you are new to this podcast, if you want to support us and get behind this so we can do more podcasting, then give The Extra Ball a go for us. It's $2.99 a month. Your first month is free and you get bonus content every week. And the more people basically that get behind us, the more we can do. Full details are at the squareball.net forward slash the extra ball. And if your podcast player supports that, you can get there in one click right now. If you go to this episode in your podcast player and click on the episode webpage and it'll take you there straight away while you're listening. It was lovely to see uh, Ailing and Roberts getting back into the action. Rocky style, a, a video montage. It just needed some more uh, music, didn't it? It needed some of um, Alioski's boxing training from last year. He set a a high bar for the recovery videos. I think um, Ailing and Roberts have just they've not even attempted. Yeah, but nice to have them back. I think we need we need Ailing as a centre back as much as anything. Probably now. Now Dallas is a fully converted uh, Cafu. And you forget that Roberts was in great form towards the back end of last season. He was a real asset in the second half of last season. It'd be nice to have him back and, and firing on all cylinders just as another option, another body. It is a bit of a, a weird question with our uh, tiny squad that concerns us all that we have these really good players coming back and then the thought that they might not actually get on the bench. Is Douglas, because you mentioned him there, is he becoming a little bit of a worry for you regarding injuries? He just seems to be one of these players who's always got a little niggle going on. What's actually wrong with him at the moment? I don't know. He's injured. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go back onto the old uh, Thomas Christensen tactic. He has a knock on his leg. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think maybe the, the, the trousers he's wearing are a, a, a factor. Cutting off the circulation. You just hope that he's not going to keep breaking down, that's all, because you'd like to have him available, um, which gives us options regards to Alioski, because he's such such a disruptive influence, isn't he, Alioski, in every sense of the word, in that whether it's you know from the bench or from left back, he just he, he covers yards, does that boy? The treatment room is important this season. We need to keep as many players as possible, as fit as possible. Bielsa has mentioned it a few times as well, and when people are saying, what's the difference from last season, he's kind of saying, well... I've got a, a lot more players to pick from and they're all fit and healthy um, and I hope he's touching wood 
every time he says that. Interesting that he didn't risk um, Cooper at Stoke when he said he probably could have done. Maybe he's just been a little bit more conservative now with his players and not uh, trying to push them through it. Well, he said that. That's one of his plans for the season that he's referred to a couple of times as well. That he's going to give more minutes to more players because um, he recognises that I nearly said he burnt them out last season, but that's buying into something I don't believe. But the, the, there was a, a level of physical tiredness sustained amongst some of the players who had to play uh, 46 to 50 matches. And so if the opportunity is there, there there's nothing in the Salford or um, Stoke games to say that Brady couldn't do Cooper's job in this team. So we just pick the one of them that's in better condition and let the other one recover properly instead of bringing him straight back, which I think we saw with... Uh, Luke Ayling last season that they had that real struggle in the first six weeks after he came back into the team because the only option we really had at right back to replace him was Shackleton. Shackleton. Whereas this year, Stuart Dallas is doing absolutely brilliantly there. So there's no point in bringing Ayling back too soon. He can do all his work in the under 23s and come back when he's, he's fully ready and when uh, Dallas is irretrievably broken. Talking about the under-23s, they won 1-0 away at Ipswich, which was nice. Big Ryan Edmondson, he's a big unit. He scored. Good stuff. Uh, Jack Clark, captain. So they're giving him some more responsibility now, which is good. Do you think that's desperate? Just to kind of say, we're, we're really sorry, <laughs> but do you want to do this? You're not going to be on the bench, even in the cup game, I'm afraid. He must start in the, in the Carabao. Yeah, he surely he? will. Uh, well, there's a lot of uh, Tottenham fans getting very annoyed about all this on social media who I, I kind of don't like six months ago they wouldn't have known when he was in the ambulance at the Riverside these people didn't give a toss about Jack Clark admittedly we were kind of flippant about it as well at the time but um but they did not care whereas now they're on they're on his every single move they're like well, why isn't he playing in your team send him back you're not going to play him either but yeah he's becoming the source of uh of stress for a lot of um teenage Tottenham fans which I'm absolutely fine with, to be honest. Do it just to wind them up. Upset my eight-year-old child. Him as well. Yeah, deserves everything. He should be forced to go to Thorpe Arch and watch the under-23s against his will, just because Jack Clark's there. You know that um, it's obviously back to school start of September here in the UK. Wife's getting new PE bag for for the kids and all that. Does it have a picture of the cop cat on it? It's a cockerel, not the cop cat. Spurs aren't even a thing. No one supported Spurs. No. Did anyone in your school support Spurs? No. Should remain that way. If you're going to pick the Champions League finalist, pick the one that won. That was us 1975, wasn't it? Yeah, well, that's why there are so many Leeds fans from 1975. People pick the team that won. Um, your boy needs to learn the same lesson. And learn he will. Hey, on to Calvin Phillips anyway. Uh, progress in the right direction there. They are. They seem to be talking and everybody's favourite haircut, Kevin Sharp, his agent, seems to be uh, indicating that progress has been made. Yeah, it needs to be done ahead of January because otherwise we're going to have to put up with a story literally every single day through January link, linking in with a different Premier League club and it's going to get very boring and disruptive Wouldn't you be happy with Kevin Sharp's high profile in the press? You'd be happy to see your boy back in the news? He's, he's, he's lost it now he just doesn't have he doesn't have that boyish charm anymore It's still you should know this more than anybody it's still the same person just with, without the hair he has not changed I do like the trivia that's emerged around this uh, this story with Calvin Phillips in The Athletic. Phil Hayes reported on it. Yes, he's got an interview with the, the chap who scouted him, Walter Sonny Sweeney, who uh, founded a club called Cherwell Lions and works as a scout for Leeds. He also found uh, Richard Naylor and Johnny Housen, and apparently Cherwell Lions were the inspiration for Jossie's Giants. So some of the, I think... Um, Sonny Sweeney was in it in with some of the, the kids were like providing opposition for, for Jossie's team, um, which is all really lovely trivia. I didn't know that um, 
there was that kind of link between Calvin and Johnny Houston and Richard Naylor. It's all kind of, it's nice to just feel that little bit more stuff as if you could feel any nicer about Calvin Bear. <laughs> we should say Jossie's Giants for the benefit of anybody not old enough to remember was a Newcastle based short lived kids TV program it used to be on in the afternoons didn't it was it on BBC or ITV can't remember back in the days when we only had four channels kids it's like a um, fictional youth football team wasn't it I remember Brian Robson turned up in, in one yeah. uh, episode perhaps to warn them about the dangers of drinking I can't remember exactly what it was Great Maybe days. It was. I, I mean I always wanted to play in Jossie's Giants I mean that's which is probably a, a testament to, uh, to how good it was as a program but yeah but there you go let's move on to others uh pavel chabitsky he's gone was he on a was he on season long loan to holland yes adl den haag not just the country they've got um yes yeah, it's the national side he's replacing johan cruyff um yeah they have an option to buy they say he is a creative offensive player who can handle multiple positions in the front which is all true all true all sounds vaguely sexy as well yeah that's a shame it didn't work out for Pavel here, although he may come back, um, but Bielsa seems to be adamant that he does not want him. Lawrence de Bock. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I rather unkindly referred to him as the unflushable turd in the past. However, it did look like he was being flushed. He's um, popped back, back around the U-Bend, doesn't he? He was, he was in uh, Greece. He was photographed at the airport for this loan move to Aris uh, Thessaloniki. Lee Sobot not confirmed? He's he's currently out in Holland trying to confirm what's going on with uh, Pavel Chabitsky. He's trying to nail that story down firmly. But yeah, but apparently that move has uh, fallen through, which it has been going on for weeks. But there is supposedly interest both at home, because he can still be loaned to a League One or Two club and abroad. Um, but they may also be, they may just... Uh, evaporate into the night the way his Greek move has. Mm, Vernon Anita still hanging around as well. I mean, uh, Wazim Boy. I'm surprised. I'm, I'm surprised Vernon Anita didn't work out better, but Wazim Boy is the weirdest signing we've ever made, I think, one of them. Just can't figure out what the purpose there was. What's that about? Four-year deal. Strange. Just, we needed bodies in the under-23s. Maybe somebody needed a, a favour. You can have him. He'll help you out for a few years. Um, but now we can't do anything with him. Um, Vernon Anita does seem to have come down to like he just can't get a deal to satisfy his um, high wage demands he wants a certain amount and uh, nobody in Holland he was also looking at Greece and they started looking at uh, some of my favourite bits of the summer is when it said uh, he's seeking an MLS move but he's had no offers that kind of sums up where he's at on to news now then about two Leeds United legends first of which Jermaine Beckford I mean we bandy around the word legend too lightly I think it's often uh trotted out on social media. He's a legend. No, he's not a legend. He's just done quite well for us. Jermaine uh, Beckford did well for us, scored a hell of a lot of goals, uh, one in two, basically, which is a great return, albeit at a lower level, but I guess you can only play what's in front of you, and he did a great job whilst he was here. I'd maybe not describe him as a legend, but I would definitely describe him as a ledge. Yeah. It's a, it's a different category. Yeah, he's, he's, a, a, he's a ledge. He's a good lad. He's a good lad. Um, and enjoyed living in Bradford whilst he was at Leeds, so... Did he really? He did. He was living at Appley Bridge, not too far from where I live. Is that the nice bit? Yeah. Ah, fair enough. He was brilliant. I watched the um, the little three-minute clips that the the club put on the social media this morning to of all his his time at Leeds. What struck me, and what Beckford maybe, it underrates him a bit, what he's really good at is just getting to the ball and whacking it in the net. All his goals seem to be there's a a ball free, whether it's a pass-through or it's just available in the area. He'll get to it before anybody else and just put it in the right place in the goal. And that's 
doesn't sound like much, but it's such a skill when you get down to it and to do it consistently over and over again, 71 times for Leeds in the league in 126 matches just to get to the ball, whack it in the net. And we say, you know, it's the level it was at and everything. We tried a lot of other strikers. Leon Constantine couldn't do it. Anthony Elding couldn't do it. Jermaine Beckford could do it over and over again. And also just the most important goals as well. And I would say there was nothing wrong with his record at Everton. Um, eight goals in 34 appearances in his first season in the Premier League, um, including that one where he dribbled past the entire Chelsea team, kind of stumbling all the way. It wasn't the cleanest dribble in the world, but again, just that ability to get into a position and find a finish. And he probably would have scored more goals there if he hadn't been offered absolutely outrageous money by Leicester, which um, was the move that did kind of fuck him. But that's he'd, he'd come into football late and yeah. um, I think everybody understood, even when he was leaving Leeds, that this, he had a, a real need to go and just sort himself out financially because he'd had a he did what he'd come to do at Leeds, I suppose. We were in the championship when he first arrived, but was loaned out and he was kind of just a, a bit of a pump for the future. But once we were in League One, that squad of players like Andy Hughes said it, they had a job, get Leeds back to the championship. And Jermaine Beckford absolutely fulfilled his part in that. And then after that, do what's necessary, go and uh, make your make what you can of your career. Credit to him as well. I mean, this is a guy who wasn't, it's a noble profession as well, but he's, he's fixing windscreens for the RAC before he joined us, not too long before that. So he's, he's made a, a decent career, never never quite made it to the top, but to get the Premier League move, absolute credit to him. And uh, six appearances and the goal for Jamaica. Can't I? I mean, he's an international footballer, so he managed to, he got to represent the country, play that level, 414 games, 168 goals. I have nothing but good memories of Jermaine Beckford. Even when he handed in a transfer request and pissed everybody off. I've heard him talk about that since and he was regretful of it and he says like, he, he kind of acknowledged that it was a bit of a stupid thing to do and he, he did change his mind and felt bad about it and, you know, like you say, he was young. He was, And also, it was, it was that time at Leeds when we were treating players badly and paying them shit wages. He probably was, did have his agent on the phone saying, like, I can literally get you six times more than this somewhere else and, yeah, if you've been fitting windscreens for... 20 grand a year a few years before you might think mm, could fancy a little bit of that actually yeah, 20 grand yeah. a week instead <laughs> I completely agree and it came down to uh, that master throw by Simon Grayson and you'd, you'd see how because it was a lot of that was with um, Simon Grayson kind of dropping him and not trusting him in the team towards the end but then giving him the armband on the vital day and then um, taking him to other clubs because he kind of followed Grayson around a little bit And but they were always um, I guess the manager who knew him best knew he could always rely on him because he he matured in that year um, and became a yeah a good pro and also very useful to play against Leeds. Apart from when he uh, he got well, including when he got sent off for who, whose head did he kick? He just came on as a sub for Preston and kicked somebody in the face and got sent off straight away. I can't, I can't remember I can't who remember it was, that. but yeah, one of his one of his many brilliant cameos against us, <laughs> and they were great as well. So good luck to him in his retirement. He's now gone on to. F- uh, to found a vegan slash wellness protein drink company with his wife, which is called Supernova Protein. So we can all look forward to him now going all over social media and relentlessly offering, do you want to earn some more money outside of work? Looking for a bit of extra spending money. Big rival to Quark. You if, love- he's looking for, um, if he's looking for a few very, very fit lads to promote it for him, as a podcast needs a sponsor. We'll be we'll be chugging supernova protein drinks and chowing down on yar bars. I struggle to think how we could be in any better shape, but um, maybe with the help of this drink. That, that'll be the selling point. Those marginal gains will be the proof. 
<laughs> Getting that body fat down from 30% to 19%. We'll straight into Bielsa's team tomorrow. <laughs> and the other Leeds legend, and that's the only reason really why I use the word legend, is so I could set up this joke. Danny Hay has been named the New Zealand coach ahead of the All-Whites 2022 FIFA World Cup Qatar campaign. We're making light of him, but it's, it is always good to see ex-players moving up the footballing ladder. Good on him. It's always intriguing because you don't think about Danny Hay very often. He did play for us. Uh, he came on for Lucas Radaby in the new camp, didn't he? After Radaby went off in the neck brace in the 4-0 defeat. But he was part of the, the Champions League era squad. And then, yeah, I guess that's why it's uh, it's noteworthy. You don't think about Danny Hay for ages. And then suddenly, oh, he's the, he's the coach of the New Zealand national team. So he could be, if he... Uh, get some there he could be coaching at a world cup so we'll be back on the telly and stuff and it will be um another opportunity for television commentators to talk about um doing a lead <laughs> with chris woods up front as well oh of course he'll be managing chris woods mm. the plural it would be remiss of us now not to revisit the blasphemy baton we're desperately trying to kill this thing off however uh, just to reset it for anybody who is not familiar with it if you're a new listener to the podcast we basically invented this last year when we played stoke away and it was a test of god's preference because you know stoke manager nathan jones he uh, attributes his success pretty much to the lord almighty we argued that bielsa was god stoke won claimed the baton and then it changed hands after that through uh, defeating the current holder like you know playground rules basically winner stays on uh, it ended up in greece at the end of the season with the ancient gods if you like and olympiakos who still have it if you want to follow the whereabouts of the blasphemy baton we suggest that you follow ross chaplin appropriately named on twitter his handle is at mason cooper four however we've just thrashed stoke and this was where this was the genesis of this thing, wasn't it? So, is it time to say that maybe you know the god rod that is now in Greece with the Greek gods is that like the Old Testament blasphemy baton, and we claimed the New Testament blasphemy baton for good, once and for all, ours to keep. So it's not passing on. I was going to say this is a feature we were trying to kill off, and you seem to have doubled it. What I'm trying to say is that this is the New Testament version, and it's ours to keep now. We've we've rebalanced it. Okay. I mean, so, we, we, so we're just keeping it forever. Are we happy to say that we are now in possession of it? What if, what if by the time this goes out, Nathan Jones has beaten us? Then we will have to make a decision based <laughs> on the evidence available. However, this is the spin-off, and this is the more exciting bit. The spin-off from the above is the booze baton, uh, which was immaculately conceived by Eden J. Harris, who's on Twitter, or to give him his nickname, that all his pals call him by Garden. He partied at the weekend for his birthday, and we will be partying with Garden. Maybe it's going to be a Garden party. I don't know. Uh, at the end of the season, promotion party, which is definitely happening. Um, Moscow... Did you bump into two of his mates, did you say? Yes, I did. I've Sadly, I've forgotten their names. Um, but yeah, they uh, they uh, came over and said hello because we'll be potentially be boozing with them in a random town at the end of the season. So I was absolutely right. Um, they were getting ready for uh, Garden's birthday. He wasn't due to arrive with them yet. They were just having some uh, um, preparing for his uh, his coming. Well, nobody calls him Garden. That's what I, I really discovered well, from this. We do. We do, and now everybody is calling him Garden. Apparently, up until this point, Eden has gone through his life without ever having that nickname used, but now um, it is really being forced upon him, and he uh, he is being called Garden, which is great. And so we can look forward to... Uh, they, they, I can report ahead of uh, this potential night out, they don't seem weird. We don't need to quietly drop this feature and pretend none of this has ever happened. I think we'll probably be okay with these guys and we'll have um, we'll have quite a good boozy do in mean, their, their we, presence. We get many tens of thousands of listeners on this podcast, so why don't you pop onto Twitter if you are a listener and just say hi to him. Eden J. Harris is his name. And just say to him, hi, Garden. 
Maybe send him a little waving emoji. Anyway, so the booze baton, conceived by guard, and here's how it works. Started with Leeds at the start of this season, and because we're undefeated, it stays with Leeds for now. So if we manage to avoid defeat for another 41 games, then it will be, the end of season party will be in Leeds. Convenient. Otherwise... I'm in favour of that. Otherwise, it will move to the first team that defeats us and so on. So it could well be changing hands and going to Swansea by next weekend. That's a long way. You don't want to piss up in Swansea, do you? No one needs that distance. Swansea aren't going to go undefeated all the season and do we have to invite Swansea's manager if that happens because I don't want to go drinking with him he looks like he's had a few hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Another two games this week then. We will get on to Swansea, who we mentioned uh, just before in a bit. First of all, we've got this Carabao Cup tie against uh, Nathan Jones's for now, Stoke City. Uh, isn't this just a massive distraction? No. Why? Tell me why. I'm into it. Um, Bielsa was right last season. He seemed a little disappointed when we went out the League Cup. One, because he's always dreamed of uh, managing at Wembley. And two, because it's a good run out for um, Eddie and Ketcher, Helder Costa, Shackleton, Clark and the crew that's not the under-23s. I think we could have maybe benefited from a longer Carabao run, as long as we're not taking it seriously um, and we're just sending out a team of players who need minutes who we want to see a bit more of, get them used to Bielsa's gameplay and to win. I mean, take it that seriously. Going I, was, I was just going to ask, are we not going to treat this game against Stoke as a training exercise, much like we did the one at the weekend? Yeah, that it, we only need to treat it as seriously as we need to treat it to win it. But no, it's good. I think it was, it, it helps um, to get a look at Enketcher and uh, a look at Costa and look at the, the queues outside Elland Road as we record, say that uh, if this is a distraction, it's distracted half the city, if not the county. It is nice to be able to go to one of these games and actually have players that you're looking forward to seeing more of rather than just being like, oh, fucking hell, it's going to be like Paul Green. Do you remember the, uh, was it against Chesterfield that Michael Brown scored that Carabao Thunderbolt? 
was. I think. And I remember thinking, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, that's, um, you know, in my bid to try and indoctrinate my kids, I took my, I think it was my daughter to that one. And she was about two or three at the time. And when that went in, she cried. Yeah, me too. It's not like I'm always happy when Leeds score, but there was this about, oh, couldn't somebody else have done that? Um, whereas this, any player who wants to arrow in a 30-yard thunderbolt against Stoke tonight and then maybe run over and mock Nathan Jones a little more, I'm all in favour of it. <laughs> this is need to have some kind of some kind of celebration where you go over and like uh, you get a, a water bottle and like pretend to throw holy water at him or something. <laughs> the power of Christ compels you. <laughs> go full exorcist. <laughs> you uh. dr- drive him out of their bench. <laughs> Say, if your board's not going to sack you, we're just going to perform an exorcism on the dugouts. <laughs> Poor Nathan. All right. Well, we'll see what happens with this one. Like you said, there's nothing really at stake. If we go out, we go out. But it would be nice, I guess, to keep those uh, those players up to match fitness. On to Swansea, though. Different proposition. Saturday, uh, they're just behind us in the league. First proper test, you could argue. Funny how this one mirrors last season, because we were top after five games, having just won 3-0 away at Norwich. And then we faced the second-place team at home, which was Middlesbrough at the time. Was that like 0-0? Yes. The end? Yeah, we'll win this. Risk. I think. Yeah. It's a big statement if we do. I think Swansea, it's slightly surprising they're doing this well. They lost their best players and their manager and... It somehow worked well for them. I'm not quite sure how. Swansea have always been quite good at just plugging in replacements, haven't they? All the the way through from the Roberto Martinez and then uh, what's his place that mad who went to Celtic, <laughs> Brendan Rodgers, Gary Monk. I mean, that's where it all started to go a little <laughs> bit wrong. But the Paolo Souza, um, Brian Laudrup. It's always just kind of been to get this level of sort of adequacy that keeps them ticking over, and it's always kind of a average to good to very good level of adequacy that you know they've got into the Premier League doing this so not necessarily surprising but it's not what you hope you hope every time they make one of these changes and Ollie McBurney gets sold that's it they're going to crash and burn and get back down to uh, Division 4 and force them to go and play on whatever's left of the Vetch field and <laughs> um, forget about all this this mini Madrid nonsense but no they're the armed uh, and we'll have to face them off with their, um, their club captain Matt Grimes A team with Matt Grimes in cannot be in the automatic promotion place. team captained by Matt Grimes. <sighs> we just need to beat them comfortably here just to drive him out of Leeds. Think how uh, happy his mum will have been when he got that honour and she saw that there was a, a bonus in his contract that says there's uh, another holiday paid for. Now he's got the armband. I don't really know enough about Swansea apart from they've sold everybody and it seems to be a bit of a surprise as you just said there that they're as high as they are. Well, whoscored.com obviously. Well, I was just going to ask, do we have anything to fear? What, what are their strengths and weaknesses perhaps, Moscow? They're, uh, according to whoscored.com, who now have a lot of da- uh, data to work with, their weaknesses, they're weak at avoiding fouling in dangerous areas. So I think that means that they are going to, they're strong at fouling in dangerous areas and at stopping opponents from creating chances. So we should be creating lots of chances against them. They are very strong at finishing scoring chances, attacking down the wings and coming back from losing positions. And they create long shot opportunities. Doesn't say necessarily whether they take them or not. Um, Their style of play sounds like it. I mean, it's Swansea. So it's like they've always been short passes and non-aggressive. So there's no surprises there. But I feel... uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of information there from which you can uh, you could probably base a, you could probably model the game from from that on its own. <laughs> well, I was going to say actually, you know, you look down the league table and there's nobody in this division that I fear whatsoever at the minute. And I, and I don't say that from a place of complacency or arrogance. I say it from a we're actually pretty bloody good and there's nobody we should really worry about in this division. I kind of fear their manager, if only his face. Who is their manager now? Um, the son 
of former referee Keith Cooper, which is one of the most shocking things around him, Steve Cooper. Yeah, he he kind of, he looks like a sort of David Platt, but if he's like broken down in the, <laughs> you know, when a, a teddy bear, the stuffing starts sort of coming out and the, the eyes are dropping off. He's got a slight, like Tom York and Frank Ribery and Quasimodo sort of combined. He's not a handsome man, is what I'm saying. Maybe this is how he's got Swansea playing so well. He's just sitting in the dugout and ruling by fear. And when he smiles, he looks really stoned. So he he is possibly the most concerning thing I've seen in the championship so I mean, far this season. I mean, with, with cutting edge analysis like this, we can't lose, can we? We could lose to Swansea because I think this is the first team, Nottingham Forest have started playing quite well. Uh, they, I hope they're not going to do the Norwich thing last season where they don't get a result of us and then go unbeaten for 50 matches or whatever ridiculous it was. Um, this is, I think, the first time we're really playing a a team that should be near the top of the table that is in the form that has put it there. So, so we'll beat them five nil. We like to round off the podcast by picking our heroes and villains from across the last seven days. The Ken Bates Villainy Award is the first one that we dish out. The first nomination goes customarily to Ken Bates. Have we got any reason whatsoever to nominate him this week? Not paying his players properly. We could have kept Jermaine Beckford and he could have, his uh, partnership with Luciano Becchio could have prospered and grown in the championship and every, the story would have been even more beautiful. But he was, uh, he was forced into making that foolish transfer request and, uh, and then leaving in the summer because he, uh, he was never going to get the, the wages that his skill deserved at Leeds. And that was Ken Bates' fault, the miser. Seems fair, whether that's true or not. Prepared to roll with it. Who else? Kind of the opposite. Um, someone we've paid too well. Vernon Anita. Just just fuck off. <laughs> Go on. Do you want me to take Wazin Boy with him? Yeah, pair of your lads. Get out. Go on. Go on. Find someone who wants you. I do wonder contractually, because they were allowed back to Thorpe Arch over the summer once once they hadn't found clubs. Are they allowed to just hang around? Is there something where we can just say no? Like revoke the security clearance and just say, public gym if you want, go train at the Leisure Centre. Yeah, don't bother coming in anymore. Mm. Seems a bit mean. Well, if they've ever done anything for us, I mean, if if Vernon Anita is uh, has not been keeping his fitness, I, I dread to think what size that shelf that he was carrying around for a backside is it now. It was like Hasselbank plus that one. Yeah, who else we got? Andrew Hughes. Oh, this now this seems controversial. Given that we have the Andrew Hughes, Andy Hughes Hero Award that follows this. He's now the uh, the lead coach of the under-23s at Sheffield United. I mean, we can't let that, that pass without at least some comment. Are you sure it's not the lead coach because he's in Sheffield? Oh, very good. Maybe, well, in that case, I, I, I withdraw um, <laughs> any <wait>. accusations of villainy. <laughs> Poisonous weights in their boots. <laughs> yeah, if that's what he's gone there to do, then Hughesy, you crack on. In that case, I'll, I'll replace that with, um, I, I didn't even catch which website it was, but on as I was browsing news now, um, trying to filter through it for a, the news email that I do, um, one website ran uh, the following headline, which when I clicked through, I realised was because the Reading and Leeds Festival was coming up at the weekend. Swift and Niketia miss out the best combined 11 from Reading FC and Leeds United. Agree? And I didn't even bother looking at what this combined team looked like, because... Obviously, if you're going to combine a, a Leeds United team and a, a Reading team of the current squads, it's 11 Leeds players. <laughs> so anything after that is just absolutely ridiculous. But yeah, the levels of desperation some people will go to to get you to, to click on a website. Did felt you see, like a, um, a, a deer. Speaking of the Reading Festival, you know who's there, don't you? Who? 
Sean Dyche. Was Sean Dyche at the Reading Festival? He was. It's almost like we mentioned that previous bit just so he could get us into Sean Dyche. Who did... Uh, have you have we been in touch with him this morning? Because he's probably got some stories to tell after that. I mean, who who's he gone to see? I mean, if, if only we had him around. The- Bowling for soup. Oh, hello. Hello, Sean. Girls, all the bad guys want. It, it was my favourite at Watford. Did you uh, see any other bands while you were there? No, I don't like music. <laughs> what took you there then? Getting pissed. That's an unusual... I refuse to accept that you didn't go to see Dappy. Oh, the fuck's Dappy? And what about all these other bands on the lineup that you could have you could have seen? It and none of these your favourites? The f- fucking enter enter who Shigari. Don't think so, mate. Not interested. Not my thing. Japanese house. No tar. What about these guys? <laughs> Johnson and the Lovemakers. No, no, no. <laughs> Above them on the on the big poster that that you were uh, you bought to celebrate that you were there. So just above. That band. Sats, sats, sats. Yes. That's not even a word. There's, there must have been some others that, that you thought would be worth having a look at. Hang on. I don't know if this is one or two. Laura Jane Grace and the Devouring Mothers. Sounds horrible. Did you not, did you not fancy <laughs> going to have a look? <laughs> You've suddenly got all Yorkshire shot. Please let's move on to something okay. a bit better than this. Christ. Was uh, the beer good? Yeah. Lovely. That's all you, all you need. And for the <laughs> Excellent. Oh, is it one of the, uh, some of the um, earth-friendly food tents? Super. Right. Uh, do we want to pick a Ken Bates villainy? Uh, it feels a little bit like Sean's an outrider there. Uh, well, Bates. yeah, you can't, for going to... Uh, for Reading Festival and not bothering to watch any of the bands, um, I feel like, Sean, because, you know, music fans crawling over broken glass to try and get a ticket for this damn thing, and then you've just got somebody there who doesn't even like music just gone for the piss up. Yeah, you're a disgrace. Villain of the week, as far as I'm concerned. But more realistically, do we, do we want to say and Andrew Hughes for poisoning we ch- can't. children with lead boots? No, it's only Sheffield. It's fine. I mean, they survived, um, what was that nuclear war film? They survived Threads didn't they? So they can survive Andy Hughes and his campaign of lead. We could give it to Vernon and Anita because he just won't care. He'll just shrug it off, won't he? That's true. Yeah, and he can, uh, if, he's, if he's looking for somewhere to put it, he's got a shelf to just balance it on, hasn't he? So we could maybe put it there and see if he ever notices. Could have it on his pigeon chest some days and on his big <laughs> ass there, the others. Yeah, Vernon wins. <laughs> Poor Vernon. Never mind. Uh, the Andy Hughes Hero Award then now. Somebody who's brightened our day a little bit. Oh, well, one of the last seven anyway. Who's uh, our nominations this week? Um, Graham Smith of the, uh, the the Phil replacement at the YEP, obviously. Um, I'm sure that he enjoys having that as his job title. <laughs> Just so people know who he is, you know, it's it's hard, isn't it, to try and, to try and replace him. It's like, you know, the new the new Chapman or whatever. You've got to, you've got to live up to this billing. He's not replacing me. Well... Oh, Lee Chapman. Right, sorry. But Gary Lineker was tweeting, I assume about the cricket, saying, uh, do we need to bother it with any other contenders for sports personality of the year? And he retweeted it, saying, Gary fully on board with the uh, the Ben White bandwagon, which was, which was nice. It's, uh, we probably we need to give uh, Graham a bit of a boost after, because some absolute maniac was uh, on his case on Twitter over the weekend, saying that he'd, uh, he'd, he'd failed to make this job his own, <laughs> um, not acknowledging the fact that he's, he'd gone on a pre-booked holiday, so that's Ooh. maybe why he wasn't tweeting that, anything. He was in trouble for that as well, though, then. I think once it emerged, he was on holidays. Like, who, who takes a holiday into a new job? And My absolute favourite part of it was this guy. He was 
going on about this for quite a considerable time and he came down to uh, his failure to to um, share his plans with the Leeds United fan base. I think, what, what plans? He's got to report the news, as far as I'm aware. That's that's the plan. And carrying that out once he's back off holiday, uh, we'll be fine. No, he needs, to, he needs to share his plans. We need to know what he's, what he's going to come up with. We need to see his roadmap. Who else would we like to nominate alongside Graham? Uh, a late one. I just noticed on the, the Twitter when um, I wasn't listening to you, um, Liam Cooper has been called up to Scotland. So oh. let's uh, hero of the week for uh, for Liam Cooper for getting, well getting back into the international setup. Yeah, well-deserved. Good stuff. Who else? Pablo and Pablo's passes. Just for, give, just for wasting many a, an hour of, of my time on social media, just watching them back and back and back. Are they now separate entities? I think so. The passes live outside of him. I think I think it is a separate thing because he his, him as a human should be getting worse at football because of his age, but he's not. So because I think he's been at Leeds for four years. Yeah, I mean, that's normally enough to drag anyone down, isn't it? Normally by this point, we're, we're giving him the full Vernon and Anita trying to get them the fuck out of their treatment, but Pablo just keeps getting better. So yeah, he deserves it. I'd nominate uh, Walter Sonny Sweeney, who we mentioned earlier as the... Uh, the scouts who found Calvin Phillips and Johnny House and, and Richard Naylor, but specifically in this, from reading Phil Hayes' interview with him, uh, he he did at least some of the interviews shirtless in his back garden, which is very a very strong move for a, a man in his seventies to receive Phil at home with the tops off. We we were all properly dressed when he came round last week. Admittedly, it was Phil who was shirtless in uh, in that, in the scenario we were dealing with last week. So I understand how intimidating it can be. I think maybe you got that tip off of uh, Walter Sonny Sweeney of just uh, if you've got the press coming round, if somebody's going to ask you some questions about football, whip your top off and see what they've got to say. I'm a fan of a shirtless interview, especially for jobs. <laughs> Strengths and weaknesses. Strengths in my chest. Well, with Jermaine Beckford's new um, vegan protein powder, I'm, I'm absolutely stacked these days. Which we are prepared to accept any samples of, by the way, if he wants us to talk it up. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. The Yabar didn't arrive, did it? So... Got to move on. Anybody else then? Uh, Nathan Jones. We did. We were saying earlier that there's got to be a, a scorching exorcism to uh, remove him from Elland Road's dugouts later. But I wonder if his recent experiences will have re- made him realise that God has abandoned him and is maybe not going to reward him at the end of life as he expected. So perhaps a secular reward on the square ball to, as a as a, a hero on earth um, with no future in heaven. And congratulations for securing your job for a little bit longer and staying in the League Cup tonight. I mean, we could probably have him on the podcast next week. Won't be doing anything, will he? We should put in Enketia as well for uh, closing in on one of our all-time greats, Billy Painter's scoring record. Ben White as well for that shimmy. He could well be beyond Steve Morrison after tonight. I can see him getting a hat-trick. I can see him getting six. Well, should we maybe put him in next week for when he moves up our scoring charts? We could we could keep uh, tracking his progress past some of the legends of... Uh, of Leeds United goal scoring past. I do get a feeling that he's he's probably already jumped over quite a lot of them. He's past Elding. He just got one, didn't he? It's not going to take a lot of goals for him to leapfrog, but maybe we could come up with that chart and just see where he's doing against some of our legends. Closing in on David Batty. <laughs> hey, listen, let's pick ourselves a winner then. Who's our hero? Pablo for me. Yeah, he was ridiculous on Saturday, just those passes. After we said he wasn't really on it and then he hit three of the best passes I've ever seen in my life. Doesn't have to be. <laughs> Pablo doing Pablo things. Congratulations to Pablo Hernandez. Repeat winner of the Andy Hughes Hero Award. Nice one, Pablo. 
Right then, let's wrap up this edition of the Squareball Podcast subscriptions for this season, including loads of Ace merchandise, all that stuff. The Leeds Carajo mugs, T-shirts, hoodies, whatever you might want to get, and subscriptions to the Extra Ball, our other podcast, can be found at thesquareball.net. We'd love you to check it out, and thanks for getting behind us if you already have. So uh, will we still be top of the league in another week's time when we sit down and do this again? Um, I mean, another few days' time when we do the Matchball Podcast after... uh, after Swansea, that's going to be fun. We're doing one tonight after... If if we can be asked. Yeah, yeah, let's do one. Let's do a match ball. Let's do a match ball tonight, which will probably be out before this one at this rate anyway. So yeah, we're, we're really messing with the time-space continuum with the... But it's all the Carabao Cup's fault, isn't it? It exists in its own alternate universe. And um, we're saying the, the match ball podcast for the... Is it the Charlton game that's coming up in September? Developing news there, Michael. Why is that one going to be interesting? Well, just because I'm going to be on a train from eight o'clock drinking cans of something and then I'm well the, the plan is that I'll join you still but we'll see I'd, I'd really just like just to get a little even if it's five minutes if you're still capable yeah we'll see we'll see how that we'll see how that pans out so as we wrap up this edition of the podcast then how are we all feeling generally speaking because we we sort of took our temperature towards the back end of each podcast at the end of last season this one started off all right how are you feeling about it all now league champions in waiting very enjoyable. Nice winning games. Nice losing money for you as well. Perfectly. I probably won't do it tonight. I'm not asked about the Carabao Cup. I'll definitely be doing it for the Swansea game. All right, then. We'll speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to this one. We'll see you in a bit. The Square Ball Podcast. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 